Hello, loyal hogs and trash future listeners. It's me, Milo. As you're hearing my voice, you may be able to tell that there is something up, some news of some sort. No, Riley is not dead. What's happened is that we here at Trash Future have opened an online merch store so that now if you want to buy a t-shirt, there is absolutely no need to email me. And I cannot stress that enough. The merch store is live now at trashfuture.co.uk slash shop. And there will be a link in the description of this episode. We are currently taking pre-orders for a reissue of the Black Johannes Vonk Tour t-shirt. So if you missed out on those, you can order one of those. And also for our new shirt, the What If Your Robot Was Just a Guy shirt designed by Rory Blank, which is also very cool. You can get your usual patron discounts via discount codes, which have been posted on the Patreon if you're looking for those. And also you can get a five pound additional discount if you buy the two shirts together. That's open to both patrons and non. If you buy the bundle, you get five pounds off either the patron price or the non-patron price, depending on what price you're paying. Cool. Yeah, we're looking to, the shirts should be ready to ship in sort of December. And the pre-orders will be open until I think the 2nd of December on Tuesday. That's the day that the pre-orders are going to close. So at that point, we'll be taking no more pre-orders. Um, so get your orders in uh, before then and uh, yeah, enjoy your new merch. Cheers. Hello and welcome back to this free episode of TF, part one of an exciting two-parter on nothing other than your favorite uh, video platform that makes such unforgettable film content as, um, oh, you know, uh, 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 Tiger King, uh, Bird Bird Box, Enola Holmes. The Ork movie. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Um, Enola Holmes, fucking hell. Yeah, that's right. I didn't mind Bird Box, actually. Nanette, fuck. Yeah, Nanette, the greatest stand-up show ever released, which That's I'm right. obliged to say if I ever want to have a career in comedy. That's right. Uh, we are talking about Netflix, and we are uh, joined by our friends, Jathan and Ed, from This Machine Kills podcast. Jathan and Ed, how are you guys doing? Ah, oh, doing doing very well. I'm earning my <laughs> podcast valor. <laughs> I, love- yeah. I, right. I, I like how, like... How are you doing? Is answered with a noise that conveys. I just was. I had to read Barack Obama's memoir for work. <laughs> yeah. <That's right. laughs> oh God. You know, I wish I didn't. Better than reading it for pleasure. This is what I get for um, tweeting angrily about it for the past week. My editors are like, "Hey, you, you wanna, you wanna tell us if he talked about drones, which he didn't, and if he <laughs> talks about all the people he killed, which he didn't." Um, so yeah, I'm feeling yeah. great. He never tweet, never tweet. That's proof. <laughs> yeah. Did he talk about all the people the Clintons killed? <laughs> uh, he did, however, uh, talk about some of his favorite films and movies, which over a course of eight autobiographies, it's just that and then things that sound hilarious when you clip them uh, from the audiobook. I think the thing about Barack Obama is he loves writing autobiographies and everything he's done has been a way to connive writing more autobiographies. <laughs> yeah, my man's gonna live eight lives just to write more autobiography. He's just yeah. like a, he's just like a revisionist. He never stops fucking rewriting his history. You know, he would be he'd be a very prolific like writer in some battle of the Soviet Union trying to rewrite the legacy of some some. Uh, That's right. But however, yeah. we, 
we, of course, uphold the legacy mm. of Barack Hussein Obama <laughs> is in here. The immortal <laughs> science. Yeah. But, Obama. Uh, hold on, I have a beautiful segue here, which is, do you know who gave Barack Obama a bunch of money to, like, make some vibes-related content? Yeah, Netflix. Well, yeah, but <laughs> also... <via> Netflix. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, because it is Riley, Milo, Alice, and Nate... Uh, uh, Hussein will be returning with regularly scheduled programming next week. Yeah, Hussein Barack Kazvani. That's right. Um, and so we, just, we, by which I mean uh, I, have uh, decided to do a big deep dive on all the writing about Netflix, uh, many of their corporate filings, and just some uh, interesting facts about, yeah. this, about the founders. We're, we're taking the mm. eye, the big motorized eye that we all share, out for a spin mm. and parking it outside Netflix this time. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, without further ado, we are talking about the N and Fangs, uh, that group of companies that is like what twenty six percent of the S and P five hundred by concentration, where basically the economy growing depends on all of them continuing to be incredibly valuable all the time. Yeah, and because and they're, they're an investment banker thing, they have to have a stupid yeah. fucking acronym. That's right. Yeah. And. Crucially, if they're not growing in value all the time, then the economy goes into a recession and more jobs get automated. Not about yeah, so cool. extremely so healthy watch economy. Emily in Paris, you son of a bitch. You have to. <laughs> yeah, it's your Keynesian duty. If you yeah. don't want your postman to be the Terminator, you have to watch Emily in Paris. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I love our great I economy. I love the episode so, in there, the euthanasia of the rentier episode. I highly recommend that. You know, it's the right before the finale. <laughs> let's uh let, let so let's go uh reed hastings and mark randolph started netflix as an online dvd rental business in 98 yeah, remember dvds uh, and they got 700,000 subscribers by 2002 3.6 million subscribers in 2005 and then used that money to kick off a streaming um service in 2007 initially only available in the u.s well you can use it to stream stuff <laughs> yeah, and i've been sending off all these dvds <laughs> um, their first original series was debuted in 2013 it was house of cards which cost a record-breaking hundred million dollars uh, and implanned it's and where the netflix ident sound comes from they don't like talking about this because of house of cards and kevin spacey but like the bomb bomb noise that plays at the start of every netflix thing is Kevin Spacey wrapping a like ring on the Resolute desk. And also House of Cards, importantly, employed a record low number of pedophiles uh, for a Hollywood production. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah pre- a, a new record of only 96%. In season two, like they started bringing up. extras from the island, and then, you know, then the numbers jumped up. There's a sign up in the office. It's like one of those, um, you know, days since last accident <laughs> yeah. signs. But it's like number of pedophiles currently employed. And if it gets below 100, they're like, it's, we're doing good. Well, it, it becomes a union issue if yeah. it gets below 100. Mm. The union requires at least 100 pedophiles. <laughs> so from, from, that, from that basis, uh, Netflix now has nearly 200 million paid subscribers worldwide. Um, and that's up like 23%. From 1.583 million uh, in this time last year, um, but and only eight percent of its subscriber additions came from the U.S. and Canada, uh, down from 29 percent uh, last quarter. Which means it's basically its growth is international, and that's going to be relevant later. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> so Hastings said of the business, uh, specifically its growth due to COVID. COVID, and this is from the FT. COVID could have been an internet virus taking down all the routers of the world and our business would be out and restaurants would be in, said Hastings. 
Damn. Yeah. Makes oh, you what think. What would you do All if right. there was no internet? You'd go to the restaurant <laughs> with your dang friends. All right. Talking about uh, shit. Okay. An yeah. internet virus. Yeah. What if it was? What if it what was if like? It, what if your phone was the virus? <laughs> what if we're the virus? Yeah. What yeah. if instead of COVID, it was like an electromagnetic pulse, and then Netflix mm. wouldn't be as profitable, but restaurants would yeah, be very what, popular. What if the plot of Goldeneye happened? <laughs> <laughs> what if they had to go back to posting your DVDs? Yeah. Exactly. Oh, they still have a line item on their um on their Q10 about mm. revenue. From DVD, yeah, they still do mail. DVD rental. Um, I also love the idea that just in case this happens, they have an emergency bunker with like episodes <laughs> of Nanette on DVD, just in case you need them. It's like you're gonna get a copy of Bright in the mail, and yes. whether you want yeah. it or not. And it's what gonna if, well, yeah, come. It it's, gonna, it's gonna come in the same like packaging as a humanitarian ration. It's gonna be airdropped <laughs> to you in a little red package, like a gift from the people of the United States, and it's a DVD of Nanette. <laughs> Steve, Steve MRE info unpackaging. A damaged DVD disc of the Lake House with Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock. Be like, oh god, I don't even want to try this. It, it's it's like this. It's like the seed bank in Strasgard where they have in like the Arctic Circle. Yeah. Great. Oh, th- thank goodness. I have, I have this aid package with the DVD of Marvel's Iron Fist. Oh man. <laughs> um, so basically, he, he carries on. Instead, tragically, the virus is a biological one. So everybody locked up uh, gave us the greatest growth we've had in the fr- in this year. Yeah, cool. 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 <laughs> awesome. The weird handshake meme between Trash Future and Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, basically, it means that they had to pause a lot of content, but they've started production again. Uh, and their goal yeah, with, is with a fits and starts. They did manage to give everyone involved in The Witcher COVID, which is quite. Do you funny. think? Do you think mm. that the shareholder letters from like refrigerated trailer and morgue manufacturers are this upbeat? <laughs> They're like, well, we had a great quarter. I mean, things have been picking up quite a bit for us. <laughs> if this growth continues, oh boy. <laughs> so, um, this I d- that's a little bit of the history, just so you know where it came from and when. Uh, Mark Randolph, who we'll talk about a small amount, is the great nephew of. Edward Bernays, the mm. inventor of advertising and PR. Mm. Ooh. Once again, we got to kill Freud. We got to kill Freud. We got to go back in time and get him. Is That's he also right. the inventor of the source? Uh, no, Is he one guy. of those uh, like Renaissance <laughs> men who just like on the side, literally on the side. Um, <laughs> Uh, at the sauce with the best PR ever. No, so uh, one day after inventing advertising, yeah. he was enjoying a steak. We we so go back and kill Edward Bernays, and then like it, we go back to the future, and things are slightly worse because of an ad man named Edmund Velute. <laughs> now uh, Randolph uh, quit the company in 2002, and now serves on the boards of uh, Looker Data Sciences, mm. which is a normal uh, tech company thing. Uh, Gettable, Rafter, Ready. Force and then a company called Chubby's Short. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Uh, Chubby's Shorts kink. is a company that will buy your house at a fraction of the cost and rent it back to you. I'm pretty sure Chubby's is like Yeti thermoses, that it's like a it's like a viral popular sort of like southern frat brand. Like it's actually very popular. It just has a name that makes you think of hard on. Yeah, well, it's perfect for the discotheca. I'm pretty sure it's a Rodney Dangerfield movie from the 80s. 
Right. Chubby's well, shorts. Mar- whatever it is, Mark Randolph is on the board of it. I can't get no shorts. That's, right. That's what he said <laughs> in the movie. Well, he quit, he quit, he quit. I'm too fast for these shorts. No, no, he's a he's a he's a Hollywood producer trying to commission short films for his upcoming film festival, but he can't find any. Well, he had to oh, quit yeah. Netflix to get the will, like you know, get a property bequeathed to mm. him from the will of his great uncle mm. Joseph Thousand Island. So, in the greatest game of things, so, uh, Reed Hastings is the more interesting one. He's the current CEO. Uh, he got his start serving coffee at the world's first dot com company, Symbolics.com, and then tried to patent a uh, computer foot mouse while a student at Stanford. <laughs> cool. Like, cool. He tried to make the computer by pedal power. I, I've got to throw in an aside because it's just it's just a funny detail that has always just blown my mind. Um, Tarek Ajami, famously known as the Hell yeah, Dude, he's the mentioned hell dude. that yeah, mm. when he he knew people from his undergraduate class who graduated probably in the earlier mid nineties who got jobs in dot coms where literally they were making animated gifts and making one hundred seventy five thousand dollars a year. It's like that's what the Gen X economy <laughs> oh, was wow. like. And so when I think about that, I'm just like, damn. Like, I've made yeah. animated gifts just to own British politicians, and no one's paid me dog shit. Like you, you buy a house with that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then he eventually made a small fortune with a software debugging company called. Pure, uh, and he became a multimillionaire in '95. Now you're telling me it wasn't th- the foot mouse thing. <laughs> I, I, oh, hold on, let me just let me let me navigate over to you Wikipedia. Just, with my double foot. check. <laughs> yeah. Let me double check to see what I'm moving you my see, computer cursor. Nowadays, with. you could sell the foot mouse. There's enough horny feet people out there that oh, they would find. True. They would find a use. You would, you would like a, be like a resale market for like ego foot mouse. I was thinking Abby Shapiro playing like Dota using oh. her feet, or, or like like a like a like a gaming stream with like one cam on the girl, the gamer girl and one on the foot mouse, so people oh. can watch the God, entire no, time. Stop! It's okay, perverts, <laughs> turn right, so off the podcast. You can't listen anymore. If, if we click random article on Wiki Feet, how long will it take to get the cock and ball torture? Ah, <laughs> uh, a joke from the conversation before the episode. Yeah. Uh, if you'd like to listen to that, go back in time and plant a bug in our office. Yeah, if you want to listen to that, go back in time befriend us or befriend edward and jathan get on their podcast yeah. and you can hear that. so um basically in 1995 hastings decided to use his wealth i'm gonna throw this out to uh ed and ed and jathan he's a billionaire he's gonna use his wealth to tackle a social issue you guys what issue do you think he tackled don't don't Done. Ooh, um, inequality, world <laughs> hunger. Yeah, of course. Uh, um, homelessness. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I'll give you a hint. He wanted to revolutionize the way children go to school. Ooh, oh, ooh yeah. my man's a charter school uh-huh. supporter. He loves charter schools. <laughs> That's right. Reed Hastings is a huge charter school guy. He's devoted awesome. billions of dollars to try to, in fact, abolish the co- concept of an elected school board altogether in America. Bit nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice. He is. He considers teachers' unions to be his greatest enemy, and he is a registered and fanatical Democrat. I would also say something that people may not realize when it comes to big finance people and stuff like that is that in states like New York and Connecticut. Uh, you can get a massive tax write-off for donating to charities, and charter schools are absolutely included in them. And so, as a result, like that's the big thing that a lot of the hedge fund people donate to is charter schools. Yeah. And it's just mm. like, well, weird how that would also overlap with hating all unions. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's interesting. The Pinkertons are now a charity. <laughs> Remember back when Zuckerberg donated like bi- like millions and millions to Newark to just basically abolish the mm-hmm. school system? Yeah. There? 
Yeah. That's right. Remember, teach, remember teach when we were they scuppered the foot mouse. <laughs> we remember, yeah, remember when we yeah. were contained at a charter school? I do. So we I've got some quotes here. We school. Oh, we missed you out of here. <laughs> it's um, it's nonsense as a service. Uh, he says, uh, I started trying to figure out why our education system was lagging when our technology is increasing at great rates. Yeah, we've huh. got and there's foot great mice. And yeah. there's great innovation in so many other areas. Healthcare, biotech, IT, filmmaking. Why not education? Mm. Imagine how upsetting it would be to find out you'd been drone striked by a guy using a foot mouse. <laughs> um, but indeed, you say, well, you know, why not education? Because, of course, like, startup brain doesn't distinguish between how these things are funded, who controls it, mm. and, and so on and so on. Doesn't consider, like, that there are public goods. Just that everything's a problem to solve, and we have to give ourselves the infrastructure to solve this problem. So, of course, I'm going to use my billions to like get, make it sure make it so that people have to use the Oscar Mayer periodic table of elements. What if history class was on the blockchain? That's right. As an aside, just really quickly about uh, about charter school people. I don't know if you'd seen news that one of the people being considered for Biden's cabinet for Secretary of Education is Michelle Ree, who was like a huge charter school person. But famously, mm. when she worked in a public school in Washington D.C., she uh, got so mad at her like first graders for not taught for for her talking in class that she taped their lips shut and the tape like took the skin off their lips like Jesus cool huh. so basically it's like what if we could make the school from Matilda real yeah and smash and cut to the kink.com <laughs> <laughs> so when you or, or you know charter schools in New York where you hear stories about kids literally getting expelled and like their parents getting visits from the cops because they asked to go to the bathroom too often like what, that kind of stuff is, is so baked into that mentality that, like, well, what are you doing in the bathroom why do you gotta pee so much huh? why, what is this about I didn't realize that Rocky Balboa guarded the you bathrooms at charter schools <laughs> that's, right. so, that's right basically this just like this just you know reaffirms my um my conclusion that basically all senior Democrats are either a Silicon Valley a zombie who wants to privatize libraries or different kinds of Ed Buck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, 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 they are Tories is the thing. Yeah. I feel like for what British audiences, it's easier to this. comprehend it that way. They're Boris, they're Boris Johnson as mayor of London Tories. They're Boris Johnson writing 72 virgins Tories. They have that exact Ooh. politics. Absolutely. Um, it, so, it makes uh, me wonder, though, like, I, like, how has Netflix not moved into the education space, right? How have oh, they not tried to roll out, like, Netflix education? Don't hold your breath. Well, they have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. <laughs> it's just, what was Tiger King if not an educational broadcast? Uh, they have. The, de- damn. Who, uh, it's 2020 Academy is in, and who's the teacher? It's Carol freaking Baskin. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, can I 2020 anymore, Carol Baskin? Uh, so basically, he actually does want to use the Netflix type um, sort of, of sort of selection algorithm to uh, uh, quote uh, inject the startup mentality into the country's schools and replace human labor to and disrupt. Inject things into <laughs> yeah. schools—a totally yeah. unsinister <laughs> phrasing. Damn, yeah. that's, that's not been tried since the Spetsnaz. Yeah. Uh, so he, he essentially, he not only did he help found California's first charter schools, he also basically wrote the law himself, abolishing the law limiting California to 100 charter schools statewide. Mm. Quote, not only did a bill pass that essentially greenlit an unlimited number of charter schools, but the v- bill included a provision barely noticed at the time, certainly not by the unions, which is that a single board of directors that would have him on it uh, could oversee multiple charters. So that is uh, Reed Hastings um, and then uh, a, a person named Shalvey, who is the deputy director of the education at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, launched Aspire Public Schools, which now operates 40 in California and Tennessee alone. Yeah, they, they are now a school district. Yes, Netflix hmm. is a school district. 
California and Tennessee is like a weird combo too. That's like a weird enough combo of states that it makes me feel like it's an underhanded combo of states. <laughs> so uh, he says... What we have to do is work with school districts to grow steadily. And the work is really hard because we're at 8% of students in charters in California, whereas in New Orleans, they're already at 90%. So we have a lot of catching up. Why is that? All the public schools have been shut down and rich white kids go to private Catholic schools as a fan of the show and force from New Orleans informed me and everyone else goes to charter schools where you basically get robocopped at 209 if you go to the bathroom. Yes, that's right. Uh, Alice, did you just, did you get cut off? No, I was biting my tongue because, uh, like, I yes, out of <laughs> rage. Nah, but I'll be sending my children to a private Catholic school of sorts here. That's very, that's correct. I don't know. I don't that's know exactly where I'm going with this bit, yeah. but I'm. Yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> yeah, where, where did all these beignets the come from? Chicken, uh, <laughs> you really thought that the accent would just lead you yeah. somewhere? Didn't you? <laughs> I, made, I made a lot of money from inventing chicken many yeah. years ago. Wow. Now, uh, uh, well, uh, so if I can, I can see it. If, if my ancestor Joseph Bernays could see me right now, <laughs> <laughs> uh, jo- Joseph Du Bernays. I want. I want to say really quick. I want to say really quick that I'm from Mississippi and I lived in New Orleans for a really long time. Oh, and Milo, man. Uh, man, just so offensive, so offensive. Milo. <laughs> yeah, my, my, my dad. My dad is from Mississippi, and whenever Milo does that accent, I'm like, you, you've got. It. If you take, go from Louisiana and then go south to the lost city of Atlantis, where no one's spoken English for two thousand years, that's the yeah, accent. The Cajun people of the bog. <laughs> so uh, then, what happened was he donated nine million uh, in 2018. Uh, to Ed Voice, which was basically a pack backing a charter can- a charter school candidate, Marshall Tuck, for the state superintendent <laughs> of public <laughs> instruction, which became the most expensive race ever for that position in history. Extremely uh, in that- healthy. In this case, uh, Hastings, as a donor, joined Betsy DeVos, multiple Obama administration alumni, and the Hoover Institution. Yeah, cool, a bipartisan cool. consensus. Yeah. <laughs> a bipartisan consensus to yeah, you, know, you know, make children understand the atomic weight of baloney. Isn't isn't the the Hoover Institution like the super right wing crank institution at Stanford? Mm-hmm. The one that like was what, named after Hoover. Out, out of out, how out, could that be right wing? No, yeah, 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 hundred yeah. percent. I mean, if I remember correctly, like, and they're governed by a very weird structure that allows them to basically employ people who, like you said, who you know trend anywhere from eric prince to like full-on you like like bitcoin freaks like that's their charter do you know who the current director of the hoover institution is I do not. Condoleezza Rice. Oh, yeah. Oh, fucking right. <laughs> awesome. oh, man. A reasonable Republican. You know what? Vote, everybody. It makes a difference. <laughs> <laughs> we set out to make a Netflix episode, and within 15 minutes, we're all like taping like bits of red string from one surveillance <laughs> photograph to another. So uh, if you want to do red string, I have one more thing about Hastings before we get into Netflix itself, which is that it was recently revealed that he was building a mysterious 2,100-acre luxury ranch retreat in the Rocky Mountains. Now we cool. can't He's a mask speculate of the Red Death guy. about the most dangerous game and what the, <laughs> no. uh, what the identity <laughs> of that game might be. Children's yeah. minds. Yeah. Children's yeah, minds. That's, 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 right. You know, that's right. You're right. You're actually right because this is a conference and retreat facility run as a non-profit institute serving the charter school movement in oh, terms no. of training no. teachers. Oh, oh, Let's no. just say you don't pay yes. with money. Yeah. Now, uh, I, I can't use a drop at this point for legal <laughs> no. reasons. However, you will know the drop that I cannot use. That's right. <laughs> yeah. mm. I just um, have an idea of it being like a heart of darkness or, you know, like a King Leopold's ghost sort of thing. They figure out the scam and they're like, why is 
why are there all these H1B visas from Rhodesia? And why are there all these <laughs> crossbows being imported? How did we get an H1B visa, which is more recently introduced than the country of Rhodesia existed? Just doing, uh, just doing the plot from the Yiddish Policeman's Union, but for Rhodesia. Awesome. Um, so one, one group that's expected to use this state-of-the-art facility is the Pahara Institute, which operates a well-known networking group and training program for charter school activists. Cool. Which Hastings also heavily funds. Mm -hmm. It's Al-Qaeda uh, for charter school people. Basically, yes. Uh, he, nice. is, he is the Osama bin Laden of the charter school movement. The Afghanistan of charter schools. <laughs> <laughs> turns out it's um, this place You're going to jump over a, a small stream and then become a charter school activist. That's right. Everyone remember the Taliban training video? Man, that, well, that ruled. Yeah, that was so, good down the internet. Um, yeah, it was CrossFit. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> when you say everyone remember the Taliban training video, you make it sound like we all watched it together at Taliban camp. <laughs> Remember that video we're all in? Yeah, it's all got like funny goofs in it to keep you interested. So, um, so yeah, so that is Reed Hastings. What he's all about, and what he's all about is uh, trying to undermine one of the last uh, bastions of organized labor in the country uh, as a woke Democrat who makes a product mm. everyone loves. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so is the end game here just the scene in Clockwork Orange, where it's like your eyes are pried open and it's just Netflix original series being beamed into your brain? Yeah. And the sound. Yeah, it's uh it's no it's it's great. You get um uh Joe Exotic comes and teaches you common core. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that sounds dope, actually. <laughs> so essentially what we have just loving someone doing a like a dictation with third graders, like all right from the top. I am broke as shit. <laughs> so, um this <laughs> won't work soon. I never had a job. Uh so what we have, let's talk about the company a little bit. So uh, Netflix, like every other big tech company, aims to be a monopolist, uh, and it aims to do that in two ways. It aims to do that via a traditional movie studio-style monopoly. The studio system. That's right. Thank you, Orson Welles. Uh, where the studio owns the, uh, create, owns the assets of the films themselves, employs the actors that create them, and then also owns the distribution channels where they're watched. Yes. So it used to this be, thing that is but, grotesquely illegal if yes. you're a movie studio. It's, it's highly illegal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's Netflix illegal isn't a yeah. movie studio <laughs> just because it acts like a movie studio would and like makes movies and distributes those movies doesn't mean it's a movie studio. It's it technically a tech doesn't company. employ enough pedophiles to be a movie studio. <laughs> yeah, they keep it <laughs> just under difference. the level. Yeah, well, no, it's all sexless freaks that Netflix employs. Yeah, that's right. Um, so basically, right, the, uh, the, the system is, because Netflix is a tech company, that's mm. how it gets around um, paying Writers Guild. So it plays um, uh, lower guild salaries in the contracts than actual movie studios do, uh, because it's a tech company or a new media company. It also is exempt from the rules that were created in 1954, around which was the US versus Paramount, where you cannot own a movie theater if you are a movie yeah. studio a, a fine those piece two words. a fine piece of antitrust law where you <laughs> yeah. simply say yes this kind of corruption is very very illegal if you're a movie studio and behind you an enormous sign is being trucked in that reads not a movie studio and you're <laughs> like well this is fine Oh, no, they're not. Dave Courtney running Netflix and just be like, I'd like to stress for legal purposes that this is a movie studio <laughs> and what I'm doing is highly illegal. That's right. <laughs> so I do not have a permit for this cinema. So uh, it also wants to become a monopoly in the norm more normal tech, tech platform way, 
which is that it wants to aggregate the watchers of stuff and the creators of stuff and then charge a fee basically on both ends for delivering that content between them. Now, uh, Jathan and Ned, you guys talk about this kind of... This is a very standard kind of tech monopoly. Like Before we sort of dive in, what's your sort of... The, the skinny, as if you will, on Netflix from your end. Yeah, I mean, this this kind of vertical integration is definitely a huge part of the monopolism, right? Where it, it's about controlling the entire market. And that, that point that you just got to about being these like middlemen, these, uh, you know, inserting them in. I mean, that's just a classic kind of rentier activity, right? They want to extract rents from both the watchers and the creators. And so that they can kind of control both ends of the demand and supply side. The studio system. <laughs> now, right now, they don't they don't extract rents from creators yet because what they're trying to do is get everyone on on side with them. Mm-hmm. So they actually pay twice what almost anyone else does, or all the old all the old um, classic studios. They will outbid anyone for everything yeah, because they basically, they will also buy or they'll option everything, which they is partly option this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's partly why there's so much weird shit on Netflix is because Netflix will try to buy almost anything that is up for yeah. sale. Yeah. SAS Ultimate Force with Ross Kemp is yeah. on Netflix, and they keep recommending it to me, and I'm like, I've already watched it. <laughs> <laughs> remember, remember that Richie Rich is on Netflix. Or the show Flaked. And he also owns Netflix, weirdly. Or or the Full House sequel, Fuller House. Um, or Chelsea Does. You know, mm-hmm. all uh, all of this great stuff is on is on Netflix. You know, things that Marseille, stuff that you remember that they spent yeah. tons and tons of money. And on. Not even like existing stuff exclusively either. They will commission stuff. They will buy mm-hmm. like new scripts and stuff just on mm-hmm. the basis that well, better that we own it with this mountain of money than like. I don't know, Disney or whoever else. Tune in next year on Netflix for Jerk Vanderclerk Goes Interrailing. <laughs> I think that's the the main point there that you hit on, Alice, is that it's better for it's better for we, Netflix, to own it than for anyone else to have any access to this IP. And I mean that's just classic like landlord behavior, right? Where it's like I want to and squatting. Uh, I- yeah, I want to squat, I want to own all the property so I can enclose it and then charge access to it. Mm-hmm. That's right. And so the the actual so we're going to talk a little bit about sort of the technology that makes this possible. So mostly what they do is yes they 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 are a tech company in a couple of ways. They're a tech company in the sense of well they're just a movie studio but they have like they've paid Amazon Web Services a basically unlimited amount of money to store their um store all their films and deliver them. Uh, they also though, have a recommendation algorithm which was designed in a contest in 2009 for prize money of a million dollars. Um, Netflix has since claimed it saves a billion dollars per year and retains subscriptions since then. Wow. Because of, yeah. I'm sorry, so did you say algorithm? <laughs> I did. <laughs> the network executives are coming! Oh dear God! <laughs> That's right. Netflix has its own network executives that it uh, apparently has made a... If I do some uh, quick maths here... Uh, 11,000 <laughs> 11, return on. Executive cool. program to roll dice to determine the fall schedule. More reality shows. So totally 80%, worth it. <laughs> 80% of people's content choices. Again, all of this is what Netflix claims. So I'm assuming it's lies. Um, because it's just a tech company reporting its own internal metrics. They claim to have saved that much money. Who knows? That's a fact for investors. They also claim that 80% of content choices are pushed by that algorithm. 
Um, they count two minutes as a view, though, meaning Netflix is able to count uh, views for movies like Spencer Confidential as as popular as like Avengers or whatever, and with exactly the same amount of cultural impact. Let's all go around and say who our favorite character was from Spencer Confidential. Uh, Spencer. Uh, yeah, mine was Confidential, actually. I'm still Nate? not positive you're making this up as a bit, Riley. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I looked at a list. Uh, it was uh, Extinction. Everyone's favorite character from Extinction? Yeah. Uh, the Meteor. Yeah. 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 Oh, the Domino's you're Pizza. Right. I think the silence afterwards. That was mine. That was mine. Mm. Uh, or your favorite character from the movie Bird Box. And I believe one person here has watched Bird Box. I thought it was pretty good, actually. I yeah. thought it was decent. Um, um, they... they, they 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 claim ninety eight million people watch Bird Box. <laughs> <laughs> oh, only YouTube, like the entire population of, of Japan, just watching Bird Box. <laughs> they claim that eighty five million people watch Spencer Confidential. Yes, like the, the, so only, confidential the only place with more view inflation than that is YouTube. Uh-huh. That's right. Wasn't there something recently where they had was, was it one of these or was there what a really absurd number where they said that something had had gotten like billions of views? It's or, stuff like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's they wouldn't have said billions because they only have like two hundred million subscribers. But yeah, they say like half their subscriber based watch like Extinction and Bird Box, but they count in segments of two minutes. So if you watch a movie for two minutes, that's a view. I love the idea that's like actually that that's not a pre real like demo or like preview of it that it's showing when you hover over in the network's netflix thing that's actually counting as a view i don't know if that counts as a view i tried to look into this and they mm-hmm. i do not know i only watch movies the same way i watch porn as long as it takes me to not <laughs> that's right so um the better the movie the shorter i watch so the following is um with, with all of that in mind right that this is basically a company that says we can churn out incredible blockbusters because we have the data essentially to do it more reality shows (laughs) we can make everything a hit because we have the data to back it up and we also are already in people's homes it seems like an incredible investment um uh, opportunity so the following though is a blind item so we all know hollywood blind items um published by nt lawyer who's a fantastic blog twitter podcast strongly recommend says the scheme goes like this buy up as much talent in town as quickly as possible and then it'll all pay off later doesn't matter how much you have to pay, you say to your investors, trust us, the financials will work out nicely in the future because we simply chase everyone else out of the game. Just give us a lot of money so we can make sure that everyone else will go bust before we do, and it will only take us a few years to make that happen. Then we'll be the only option in town, we'll control everything, we can squeeze all that money we paid for talent back down while charging our customers a ton of money. And this scheme was run by every single major studio. It was run by Paramount, RKO, everyone, Universal, everybody has done this. And the difference with Netflix is they say, yes, all of those people failed, but we have the algorithm. (laughs) We have the network executives. (laughs) And this will mean that, like, sitting down to the same poker table every night for a year and trying to bust out everybody with nothing is going to pay off for us in year two. That's exactly right. Yeah. So by Reed Hastings' own logic, then it's like one, algorithm, two, COVID 19, three, question mark, question mark, four, monopoly. That's mm-hmm. correct. Yes. Um, so here's the other interesting thing, though, and then I'm going to get into how they actually get their company valued, which is that if you look at the actual distribution of watches of things Netflix releases, they, and again, this is not analysis I did this. I'm just pulling a couple, a couple sort of very good sources here. This is from Entertainment Strategy Guy. 
um, he's incredibly insightful about this stuff. He, do- he runs a lot of numbers. He actually said, look, the logarithmic distribution of returns is wildly proven in entertainment. That means for about one out of, 86, one out of every 86 movies is going to be a massive blockbuster hit. And the concept of Netflix was we will use the algorithm to excise the idea of needing a blockbuster because everything will be a blockbuster because everyone's going to the same theater, but the theater's only showing what they want. And that's how you get Spencer Confidential. <laughs> that's how you get Spencer Confidential. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so we bought, we bought an audience. We've made it cheap. We've bought the talent. We've bought the writers. We've, uh, for some reason, bought a wet market in Wuhan. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. For some reason, we have this ancient stone circle with a blood gutter in it. You know, one thing, one thing I really dislike about this, though, is that it all feels so bloodless. Like, in the original studio system... The studio system? You would have, like, the whims of some, like insane tyrant, right, who would be like, yeah, no, fuck it, we're doing westerns this year, I don't give a shit, we're making this happen. Whereas here, like, okay, the algorithm is unpredictable, but it's not, like, interesting, there's no personality to it, it's just more game shows or whatever. I don't expect that Netflix is gonna wind up making a movie that takes three years of them being going completely insane in the jungle in the Philippines, you know, and basically, like, having it, and and declaring at the end of it that this is not a movie about the Vietnam War, this is the Vietnam War. Which, to me, is, like, when I think of the insane studio system and, like, its sort of bizarre apex in the 70s, like, obviously, there was shit way earlier, I think, before, but obviously, like, that still continued on. Yeah, drowning a bunch of your extras in a tank that's like, not going to be a movie, but that is something that will be taking place on a large estate in the northwestern US. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. why, why does satellite footage of this estate in Colorado reveal a precise replica of D.W. Griffith's set for intolerance? <laughs> that's right. I was going to say something more along the lines of like, they, no, they actually have a bunch of team building exercises for people to learn to be better at charter schools. And one of them is this awesome helicopter scene that Max Landis directed. I love the smell of charter is, schools in the morning. Is, we're um, what we're going to do is we're going to get all the teachers together. We really see and the divide between who got that joke and who did. <laughs> no, what we're going to do is we're going to dra- we're going to get all the teachers like, together and we're going to have cool. them portage a steamship across a, across a hill. That's right. And then one of the one of the locals is going to kill Klaus Kinski. Um, <laughs> just, just, just for reference, just just because I feel like it's a funny thing to bear in mind when you think about insane Hollywood stuff. Max Landis's father, John Landis, directed. I think it was an episode of The Twilight Zone that involved yep. like a Vietnam sequence in a helicopter, and it was super dangerous. They did it anyway. The helicopter crashed and killed like a famous actor and two uh, children. Unlike any other helicopter. Yeah. Mm, it why was were those a, two children on a helicopter with a famous actor? Well, they were supposed to. They were playing the role of Vietnam orphan. And oh. uh, they wound up killing them in real life. Yeah, Dan, uh, the the the, the it US truly was stop. the Vietnam War. <laughs> so yeah. So basically, with with Netflix, we have this grandiose claim that we are more technically enabled to do this kind of thing, and it's going to make everything a blockbuster. Program to underestimate Middle America. It's funny, but is it going to get them off their tractors? <laughs> it will play in Peoria. So basically, we have this. But again, if you look at the numbers, that's it's quite. It's, it's, it's reported to be quite averagely successful. It just has the sheen of technology across it, uh, where all those random decisions that are taken by, you know, network executives underestimating America to lube are up taken my company with technology. Yeah. Give it that sheen. So, so uh, well, then what? So let's, let's talk a little bit more then about how Netflix is a creature of its environment. Um, because and this is a section I've entitled "quote at least when people make jokes about late Soviet tractor production, they acknowledge that they at least produce tractors." 
Um, <laughs> Netflix is a creature of the 2008 financial crisis, essentially. Uh, and- Comrade, we have made excellent film called Confidentialnit Spencer. <laughs> um, so uh, where essentially, again, I think we've, ta- we've mentioned this on Quibi, on the Quibi episode, uh, where when, when you, if you have to solve a crisis, if you're Ben Bernanke, uh, and Obama says, we're not going to um, do any kind of redistribution, et cetera, et cetera. We are essentially going to do a supply side recovery. What that means is reducing interest rates, printing money, giving that money to the banks, and the banks lend it to businesses they think will be profitable. But when the banks have infinite free money, they don't lend to, uh, say, I don't know, um, uh, hard scrabble podcasts or uh, mom and pop, you know, I don't know. Well, they are also yeah. Midden's Advent. <laughs> yeah. Well, 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 I would say something too is that when you think about, I mean, I remember Netflix. Uh, I was in college when the DVD service was really popular. It was kind of the only game in town aside from, because streaming wasn't a thing yet, uh, you know, aside from like Blockbuster or like other ven- video rentals. And so like in a way, it was great because, you know, if you wanted movies that weren't the things you'd get at Blockbuster, you were able to get them in, a, in, in, in something that was like very conveniently priced and like the whole postage thing was free. And so it was great, right? Yeah, but, like, you didn't have to talk more... to a clerk who would be like uh, <laughs> officious about your taste in movies. Yeah, exactly. No, no, no one is getting mad at me that I'm renting Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest for the ninth time. But the thing is, is that the, the, um, you can see that moment, like you're saying, Riley, that inflection point, at least to me, where like once they got this much money dumped into them, like that's where like all the megalomania has taken over. Like, because it really is unrecognizable when you think about like it's the it's the joke about the Milwaukee Bucks logo from the nineteen sixties of like the cute cartoon deer and now it looks like like the logo on like some kind of fascist military unit. Like it's genuinely like it, it went from being this this nice thing that was convenient with the internet and movies to like the charter school death camp you're describing yeah. and things along those lines like it's just it's it's gotten the, i don't know it's it, i've never seen <laughs> trouble is the teachers unions ruined death camps <laughs> they, need be, they need to be run by smart business people like i guess i sort of wonder if if you gave like infinite quantitative easing to any company if they would go this insane or if there's just a particular special sauce yeah here. well no it's not because this is what happened with um uh zoom they had their idea for a pizza. Uh, they had their idea for a pizza van, and then they basically got an infinite amount of Saudi oil money, and then tried to become the Amazon of food, yeah. and ended up going bust without doing it. K- kind of yeah, a whole Amazon, thing is, is, is by this point is like example after example of basically whatever business you want to do, whether that's like ambulances or making pizzas or whatever. That like once you turn the cheat code on. It's really going to produce some weird results. <laughs> and, and so, right, what happens basically is you, if they move to solve the crisis, right, that has caused like living standards to, to, to crater. And I don't know if anyone here notices, but like people have stopped calling America, like, even conservatives have stopped calling America the best country in the world, and, as, as they have with, with, with the UK as well. Like, no, that's not credible anymore. But like, people are just dying earlier. Their lives are shorter and stupider and governed by more cruelty. And it's too obvious now to look away from it. Uh, there are food deserts expanding out everywhere, like fentanyl's hollowed out the middle of the country. This is all so obvious. And all of this is because there was a crisis that they were ideologically not able to recover from. And so, well, like you have to understand that all the starvation and stuff, that's one side of that coin. Netflix being what it is, is the other side of that coin. Those are fundamentally related propositions. Yeah, you cannot like, disentangle them. 
There's a weird inflection point as well around that same time. I, do you guys remember in like 2011, they tried to spin off the DVD service as Quickster, spelled with a Q? I do I remember. Do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and uh. so they, they, they like announced that in like September of 2011, and then they abandoned it less than a month later because their stock price had plummeted nearly 30% and they shed like 800,000 subscribers when they were trying to do this rebranding. Yeah. I mean that's uh, it's unsurprising, right? It's the because it's it's not just the finance, it's not just the pure sort of finance end, which is basically governed by interest rates, right? It's also the idea that we have given up essentially on anything but a kind of sort of cautious, not cautiously, but fervently optimistic technological whiggism to large to basically get us out of this problem that we're in. Yeah, because, it's, it's like it's a slight yeah. modification of the. Kind of facile, but basically correct, like Occupy Wall Street thing about, you know, the banks got bailed out, but not the people. Well, mm. what the banks did was the banks were delegated this bailout and what the banks did was Netflix, you know? Yeah, because well, they because the, when you have a zero interest rate, the implication is that no, no um, project you lend to has a, has a chance of succeeding. That's what a zero interest rate means. And the closer you get to zero... The less uh, like sort of odds of success you have, which means that the if you have money that's been loaned to you for free, the only rational thing to do with it is to try to lend all of it to one monopolist, yeah. essentially. And we talk a lot about this on this machine kills as well. That like the that the 2008 financial crash was the real cataclysm moment because immediately in the aftermath you see. Uh, Uber and Airbnb were founded. You know, a, a lot of the the companies that we're now so preoccupied with, and that are you know quite literally writing the laws uh, of of the you know of the state, are, they were all founded in that immediate aftermath because of this zero interest uh, policy. Yeah, well, I was thinking about this too. Um, a recommendation from a from a fan. Uh, I was checking out this lecture earlier by uh, I don't know. I have never heard of this guy before, and I wouldn't pretend that I was super clued into this stuff, but. Is a academic named uh, Gaspar Tomas, who's a Hungarian guy, and he was talking basically about post-Soviet, post uh, 1989 in Eastern Europe. But it was something he said that really struck me was talking about like what is the sort of failure of liberalism, and it's just that there is this contradiction now where governments still have to kind of make these motions as if to pretend that they're going to try to solve the problems of the weakest people in society, but they don't. They actually just are not going to. That we are just going to abandon this. We are not going to have employment or care for people. We are not going to better people's outcomes like it doesn't that there is this charade that it's going to get better but that uh everyone has resigned themselves to that contradiction and like I, i'm not trying to get super like wonky about this but it, it does strike me when i think about what you said earlier riley i mean i'm from i mean I, I grew up in in the ohio valley which has been completely gutted by deindustrialization and by opiates at this point and it's just one of those things where looking at this stuff always i'm reminded of the fact that we as a country, as Americans, have more resources than I pretty much any country in the history of humankind to solve these problems if we wanted to. We have, we have the global reserve currency. We have this enormous amount of resources and space and population. Everything. We, could, we could solve all these problems in terms of people's quality of life, earnings, et cetera, protection, security of the state, all these things if we wanted to. We just choose to live this way. Mm -hmm. And it's like... Yeah, so you get Netflix. Fucking Don't rules. lock it. There's a door. Like, yeah. It just, exactly. just it's like, got it. Fucking <laughs> rules, doesn't it? Like I said, you can get Orc Cop the movie a hundred times, mm -hmm. but like you will never, ever have single payer healthcare. Well, oh, Nay, I. Uh, 
I, I think ahead. the real opium crisis is Netflix, right? Opium of the masses, <laughs> am I right? Yeah. 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 Shout out to Neil uh, Ferguson and his. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, I mean, another if, famous Stanford alumnus or Stanford resident, Neil right. Ferguson, out so, there trying to cyber bully students who call him a loser. <laughs> so, if you want to look at that one step further, it's that not only does Netflix have an incentive to make bright and an incentive to say that every single man, woman, and child in, in America watched Bright and loved it. They did. Because then what they do is they take those numbers back to their investors or lenders and they say, everybody loved Bright. Give us money to make Bright too. It is kind of weird to me that... And then they, they made Bright too. That this process has repeated itself in the Wait, same way. Wait, they actually? Yes. Oh, man. <laughs> oh. I, I, I am reminded though that the similar phenomenon took place with Facebook, that uh, Facebook basically juked all of the stats on video views and then basically every newsroom in America was like, put it to video and fired all their journalists. And then it turned <laughs> out that that was not... That these video metrics were massively inflated. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, yes, I'm not surprised that Netflix has done the same thing, but it's just... It, when you think about like, you know, the economies of several regions of the world's worth of money is involved in these decisions and it's all just basically made up. Yeah. Like, well, it's, it's made up because a platform makes money on, tra- on the number of transactions. That's one of the core ways a platform makes money, which means that they just need to keep putting stuff on there. And also, if you're already a monopolist or if you're trying to become a monopolist or you're spending in a zero rate world, then you don't... Dis- and you, if you have... A- the difference is the people who have access to the zero rate money and the people who don't. If you do have access to the zero rate money, then of course you're going to make Bright too, because all your money is free. <laughs> I'm just reminded of something that like there was a movie that I had recommended to me that was like some Italian movie from the 50s that I wanted to watch and I couldn't find it on Netflix or any streaming service or Amazon anywhere. I couldn't find it on Torrents. The only place I could find it was some like niche DVD rental service. <laughs> like the, the problem still exists, but you're this is never going to be addressed because ultimately like the numbers say bright two through bright infinity. Yep. That's what you need to make. Absolutely. Yeah. And the thing is, right, the end game of any, anyone who's trying to be a monopoly will either get to the point where they become a monopoly and then they can raise their prices and then lower what they pay to competitive for their uh, suppliers or they crash and burn and go bankrupt. And Netflix, I think they're realizing that they're in the end game now because they are raising their prices. And like I said, while they're reporting subscriber growth, if you actually look at where those subscribers are coming from, most of those subscribers are in countries like India and Malaysia, where that's a 3 to $4 subscription, not a $17 subscription. Mm. So Netflix... But they all loved Spencer Confidential. They loved that, Spencer Confidential. That went off in Hyderabad. <laughs> People could not get enough of it down there. Yeah, and, and the, these numbers show out in the uh, Q3 financials, too. So I was looking through Netflix's recent financials, and uh, and, the, and they report that... Uh, the largest contributor to their paid membership growth uh, this quarter was the Asia Pacific region, and it was forty six percent of their growth, uh, with like a mm-hmm. you know sixty six percent rise in revenues from that region. And so they they are uh, you know in the, in the letter to shareholders they they're saying you know uh, that we've achieved d- double digit penetration in broadband homes in both South Korea and Japan. Got to the While this is encouraging. We still have much work to do, and we're working hard to replicate the success in India and other countries. So they're they're, yeah. they're basically abandoning the the like U.S. like Canada market, um, saying we are we're overly saturated there. So now we need to go. We need to become globalist in uh, Reed Hastings' own words. 
And that success in Asia is in large part down to the 100-person choreographed dance sequences in Spencer Confidential. <laughs> um, <laughs> Spencer Confidential now is just sort of a black box movie. It's whatever we think it needs Yeah, it was to designed be. by the algorithm. <laughs> it's like Bollywood combined with Bright, combined with, I don't know, the Why Tiger not? King. Carol, just- Carol Baskin with a moustache <laughs> dancing. <laughs> When, yeah. when when the algorithm pulled the information that was the number one boy's baby name in, in America, so like, it's going to be Spencer. Spencer We're Confidential. Gonna call Spencer. Yeah. Uh, so basically... These days it'd be Mohammed Confidential. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Barack <laughs> Confidential. Yeah, absolutely. Thank, thank, so, uh, wait, <laughs> Reed Hastings. Baz? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've, started a, I've started a Netflix. If you don't like it, there's a door. Yeah, Baz Flex. Yeah. I uh, think I watched Mohammed Confidential at Taliban training camp. Bazflix just only has the films of Ray Winston on it. (laughs) That's right. So um, you you might say that they are uh, saturated in their high value markets and only growing with a relatively high cost of sales in relatively low value markets. Which let's move on to their balance sheet. That's good, right? Yeah, that's good. You want that. Uh, so their balance sheet is a get, is very interesting, and mm. um, I know I'm saying that as the host of an entertainment podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's um, right. It's time for the nitty gritty of entertainment. <laughs> yeah, that's right, Alice. Uh, it's it's so- always that time. <laughs> it sort of is. So basically, uh, get out your trash chute to branded calculators. <laughs> <laughs> you know, economics famously called the exciting science. <laughs> yeah, Riley's wearing a croupier visor. <laughs> the, yeah, the, the fun science. <laughs> Um, so this is from the FT, uh, which is that Netflix subscriber growth for the third quarter of 2020 disappointed Wall Street, falling short of the company's ex- and falling short of the company's own expectations of itself. Uh, and they added to that gloom by pointing out that it expects subscriber growth to decline on a year-by-year basis in the first half of 2021. Uh, and there are concerns that that growth may have already hit a peak. Now, what Listen, that basically they're going to dig themselves out of this with Bright Three. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bright three, confidential. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're we're Spencer Confidential and the Orc Cop have to work together. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Why not <laughs> to to form a Bollywood dance troupe to win a dodgeball competition to keep the Bollywood Dance Center open? <laughs> Peter Griffin, where did you come from? <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's yeah, it's all just the Simpsons spinoff special. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to India. Yeah, thank you, know. Mark, not- Mark Peter Griffin Wahlberg. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, basically, right, their approach to bring in all these dance sequences to Boston. Their, yeah, Boston would. Their approach to uh, <laughs> that's borrowing. What the B stands for. Yeah, that's the B stands for. <laughs> Boston. Um, the Netflix. We're full. If you don't want to make a Netflix movie out of this episode of this podcast, you could also make Boston Wood, a Bollywood yeah. movie set in Boston. That's right. Um, where oh, we're don't, gonna, don't lay that. We're gonna Do stop, not. Yeah, we're gonna stop the bo- the marathon bombing with a dance. Yeah. Um, so their approach to their approach to growth has been basically debt fueled, as I mentioned, due to ZERP, the zero interest rate problem, um, and they. Essentially, what they do is they borrow. I think 19 billion was their last content bit of content spend. So they'll borrow like, t- like 10, 14, 19 billion at a time, amortize that, so expense it over a few years. Um, and they borrow in both Europe and the U.S. Uh, they borrow as a junk bond in Europe, but they only pay three percent, or as you'd ordinarily expect, a triple B rated bond to pay six percent, which means basically that the ratings agencies do not understand this company. Oh, something we have in common. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, like, and that's in itself a problem that ratings agencies don't understand business models because maybe on another episode we can talk about how like banks, uh, banks stability relies on owning certain asset classes, uh, and certain not just certain asset classes but also certain like 
a, a certain grades of asset rated triple A, triple B, blah, blah, blah. Dear uh, Standard & Poor's, pay this <laughs> podcast to consult you. <laughs> so Netflix is rated as a junk bond, but borrows more cheaply than other established uh, higher rated players in the game because everyone wants to lend to them because they want them to be a monopolist. So even though their financials are dog shit, the investment case is if you like high value, low likelihood of success. It's, it's a high value. It's high risk play. So it's, it's basically the same shit as like Uber and all these other people. Same it's thing. like, yeah, we just lose money hand over fist, mm-hmm. but at some point we're going to make money and no, you cannot see the calculations, but it's Aurora Boy. It's just <laughs> a really nice investment <laughs> vehicle you're, called a collateralized net obligation. <laughs> <laughs> Episode title. <laughs> I think my favorite with these sorts of companies is one is also when they present the metrics. Like, you know, one of Uber's favorite things is to use adjustments. And you read the fine print and the adjustment. It's like, um, we're going to take out 38% of our expenses and we're going to put them in this corner. And then as you now can see, the line is going up. And (laughs) Now, if we turn the graph around, (laughs) when you you factor in vibes. Yeah, uh, well, the the Airbnb released there because most of these will release an adjusted EBITDA. Mm. And so Airbnb's adjust- adjusted for how we're feeling about it. <laughs> yeah, <Yes. laughs> I, I love I love a case of like money adjusting. So basically, what they did was they said we've adjusted our EBITDA to include not just taxes that we pay on like capital and stuff, but taxes we would pay as parts as parts of transactions to municipalities in case they charge us as a uh, 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 like a hotel, basically. So if they do what Barcelona did. So they have basically fa- their EBITDA is just a measure like their official. It's a non-gap measure, but it's an official reported number is how well can we avoid tax? Cool. <laughs> <laughs> and it's amazing that the SEC is like, nice, nice. Cool. <laughs> awesome. It would be really funny if Netflix managed to avoid tax by getting itself classified as a hotel somehow and then was immediately put out of business by OYO. <laughs> 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 Son to the rescue. <laughs> Their net profits are actually up from 0.6 billion in 2017 to 1.9 billion in 2019 and higher in 2020, but they're burning cash even faster. So your profits are your profits can include non-cash items, so like assets as well. And so their free cash flow is followed by over 1.3 billion between 2017 and 2019. <laughs> Wait, so, the- so it's basically like we technically we lost money, but if you say that this golden arm is made <laughs> worth 14 billion dollars, then actually we made money. <laughs> yeah, because we've made it vital for ourselves to like spend yeah. and spend and spend constantly on everything <laughs> all the time. That's just, right. I just, it, I'd someday wish that something that I'm involved in could be enter into the class of thing that can be granted vibes EBITDA because it's just like mm. it would be amazing. Like, yeah, you just don't have to show any kind of solid fundamentals here. It's just more even like, our accountant would not go for this. And when people <laughs> do point out the fundamentals, you can yell at them and say that they're just being negative and they don't really understand how how important and you know energetic your company and is they would understand it better if they'd gone to a charter school if you had learned (laughs) maths in a charter school you would know that this is good actually (laughs) (laughs) back do you want a voucher any fundamental analyst of, of of companies like this has missed the point that it is politically essential that they survive and the politics of the politics of monetarism basically say that they will survive of course because it doesn't because they are still just around the corner from being a monopolist. They're going to make you a ton of money until they fail, but it's probably going to take them a long time to fail. 
right? So any so any Netflix bear, just like the Tesla Q people, they're just trying to apply the laws of normal economics yeah. to fundamentally this, different beasts. This coyote can't be like running in air. He has to fall down at some point. <laughs> so, and 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 because what you're looking at is essentially you are looking at organizations that exist almost from like central bank patronage, rather than say um, any kind of fundamental bottom-up analysis. It's what happens when you do a top-down recovery. You have a top-down economy. Uh, and that's what Netflix is a part of. That's why I love to have a command economy, but instead of building tractors, we're building sequels to the Orc <laughs> movie. <laughs> so basically, the cash spending grows every single year because they always need to make new content. They need to make new content for new areas, and because they constantly need to keep people like watching. And it has worked. Like they have as much. Um, they have more. Than an order of magnitude more than the next biggest uh, streaming service, and again, that's according to Entertainment Strategy Guy. But like again, how do they keep those? How do and how do they keep that growing when they saturate? Because and the high quality entertainment of Spencer Confidential. <laughs> well, yeah, and also right. correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of the things you talk about, they're like propensity towards optioning everything. But some of those options were things like, say, for example, Friends when they optioned it, like those are incredibly they expensive. They didn't option Friends. They bought the. They were allowed. They basically bought the rights to show it for a very short period of time, and then because everyone realized how valuable all their properties were, the people that actually own the rights to Friends are not going to sell them to net or not going to lease them to Netflix again. Instead, that's just going to go on the, you know, NBC Peacock stream or whatever. Same thing with all the Marvel movies. Disney Plus is now Disney's pivoting to streaming. So how's Netflix going to going to pay for the new Avengers yeah. Avengers movie? All of the other people Disney around this poker table are suddenly realizing Holy shit, this guy's been sitting here every week for a year just going all in. I don't think he's fucking got anything. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially, because Netflix, they have to get enough money to get good or it's basically they're just trying to fake it by swindling everybody out of their like low cost classics like Friends or whatever to or it's always sunny in Philadelphia to then basically um push on so that they can um uh, they can get enough of an original content library that as they lose the rights to stuff like the Marvel movies people yeah, will still make, subscribe you have to your Netflix. own friends you have your own Marvel movies yeah why is my brain stuck in the gear of imagining a bunch of guys in like the the late 50s sitting around in the CIA headquarters like in shirt sleeves and glasses like smoking in this like fogged up room going so the Russians have been developing something highly dangerous that we cannot compete with it's called Spencer Confidential that's right <laughs> it's all Spencer Confidential the Russians have orc cops they have orc cops <laughs> um, and so yeah the formula is essentially that you that you go to a European like lender who's just got money from the ECB, uh, or you go to uh, you know the, the the American lender who just has infinite Fed dollars. They give you a, you know fourteen point six billion dollars. You then give eighty billion each to the Obamas and like Harry and Meghan the Sussexes, and then like they basically just sit down and talk about like their perfect Sunday. Keeping up with the Sussexes. Yeah. In the grand scheme, of, they're like, well, you know, it really is sad. The society is racist towards orc cops. You know, <laughs> I think you should make more movies about this. Um, and the interesting thing here, though, right, is that Netflix has a market capitalization of what a couple hundred billion. Um, hang on, I'll, I'll look at, at Netflix's actual market cap. Uh, it is total enterprise value. Uh, it's increased. Yeah, I think it's um about two hundred billion. Um, give me, you know, yell at me if I'm wrong about that. I, I do love the idea that Netflix 
while ubiquitous in a large company is basically valued the same as like Boeing. Just conceiving of that. Yeah, the DVD mail for every man. Um, yeah, I just I just yeah, looked it up, Riley. It's two hundred and thirty billion is their market yeah, cap. So. so they're they're vying with Walt Disney. So we're we're gonna talk. I'm gonna talk a little bit now about how that market cap, how we get to that market cap, because an enormous amount of that is investor goodwill, which is just like the amount of money above it's the, the earnings multiple of the stock price, like the amount of money over their earnings and assets that it investor makes. goodwill hunting. Now yeah, that's a Netflix that's right. project. Uh, that's what it's called in the balance sheet. Yeah. Um, so uh, basically, you calculate the value of a business by looking at all the value of all of its assets versus mm-hmm. liabilities. That's the stuff it owns, the plants and property it owns versus the it debts it all owes. The vibes. And so on. The vibes. Yeah. You adjust it for the vibes. So Netflix will spend money on a movie, and then unlike a normal like movie studio, which amortizes like the, the depreciates that investment over like I don't know a few months, maybe a year, it depreciates its investments between four and ten years. Which is astonishingly long. Yeah, because you can go back else. and watch Spencer Confidential anytime you want. You can't. In my it's case, not being, every day. Yeah, it's not being pulled from theaters, and obviously, your demand to watch an old movie is going to remain constant forever. Mm. Mm. Their so, calculations are based on some like mass amnesia event where everybody yeah. forgets. <laughs> yeah, and They've so optioned the Men in Black Ray. A hundred million people a day hover over the Spencer Confidential icon on the Netflix app. That's the same as the opening of Titanic in 1997. That's right. Yeah. So essentially, what happens is because as they depreciate their films over a long period of time, regulators and uh, ratings agencies don't understand if that's correct to do or not. So they just let them do it. And so then <laughs> Netflix is... <laughs> well, I guess we have no choice but allow you to do this because we do not know. Every Regulators are just drill. Like, we cannot tell if it's good or not. It's not even drill. It's the Mike Fossey tweet that's like, check this out, motherfucker. And I slide onto the floor and it's not even clear what kind yeah, of move I was right trying now. to do. That's the same <laughs> shit with Purdue Pharmaceutical, though. The same fucking shit that happened with 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 fentanyl patches and stuff. People were like, "Wait, aren't opiates addictive?" Like, no, we have magic coating. They're not addictive anymore. And people were just like, "Okay, cool. I'm sure that's true." So uh, Netflix's Netflix's valuation is based partly on its calculation of its assets and what those will be worth at a certain time. So therefore, it is uh, this is a this is a deductive syllogism at this point. Netflix's valuation is based at least in part on the assertion that Tiger King will be a worthwhile property after the next U.S. election. <laughs> That's right. Well, it sure will be when Joe Exotic wins. Yeah, I, I really think that Tom Cotton is just like Carol Baskin. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I, I think actually Carol Baskin will be the next U.S. president. Yeah, d- damn. <laughs> yeah. Is, that, is this 2020 on the phone? Yeah, Freaking- Baskin, Baskin Robbins 2024. Right. Her and Tim Wait, Robbins. Why is Reed Hastings uh, donating millions of dollars to Joe Exotic's 2024 run? Uh, mm. I'm, I'm very excited when a bunch of like, you know, normie journalists and low follower account people start tweeting in 2024. Ah, oh, damn, 2024. Could this be any more Carol Paskin? <laughs> uh, they love talking about her. Um, anyway, so, um, that, so that's like an independent analysis. Like it, it has shown that those watches plummet after a few weeks. Plummet. Not with and, Spencer Confidential, though. And, it's as addictive as fentanyl. And because <laughs> most people only know what Netflix recommends them, they only... And this goes for investors, too. Investors are very stupid. They'll make decisions just based on what they see on Netflix. So they see stuff they like. They don't see the gigantic amount of shit Netflix commissions, like disjointed or whatever, that nobody watches, that fails. 
you only see its successes. So it looks great. But the fa- all of these accounting tricks, the reality of what it actually spends money on, and then how it represents itself as a success to the rest of the world appears to me, or a, a might appear to a reasonable observer, you could say that I would like an explanation as to how this is not smoke and mirrors. I mean, not to sound like Greg's, Greg Stubbe in front of Congress complaining about how people don't like his posts, but I have noticed that that if you say you want to watch a, fi- like a film, like a Hollywood film or something like a major studio film on Netflix, it does strike me that more often than not, you will not find it, but you will find dozens and dozens of series you've never heard of. Like, it's just like... Yeah, called Smoke and Mirrors. Like, it, 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 does, it does strike me, yeah, that like they do produce a lot of stuff that I can't imagine very many people watch, and I'm always just blown away by the fact that none of it is... It's not like YouTube original movies. It's like high quality. Like it's it's clearly high budget, and you're sort of like, what? at some point the shoe's going to drop, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, you yeah. hope. Well, yes, yeah. But, so it, but also, it, it does seem to have like kind of almost brainwashed people to an extent. Like recently, I was chatting to a girl on a dating app, and she, without a shred of irony, said to me that she thought the greatest season of television she'd ever watched was the first season of Money Heist. It's supposed to be pretty good, to be fair. It's, it's fine, but it's yeah. like the greatest season of television you've ever watched. Maybe this will be a good company. It's like the only season of television she's ever <laughs> yeah. watched. But uh, so Netflix's content library is valued There's at only 23. one TV series you're supposed to like, and that's The Fucking Sopranos. It's the only one with podcast oh. cachet. That's that right. right. <laughs> so anyway, that is the financial wizardry behind this uh, this company. Like it's too it's obviously too extreme to call it a pyramid scheme. Like it's a monopoly play. It's going for a monopoly. It could work. Why is there this monopoly of- piece the shape of a pyramid? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, they might they might pass go and collect two hundred billion dollars or they might end up in jail. <laughs> And no That's one right. can say which one of the um, two it will be. And I think one of the, but, and so like it's in that sense, it's quite a normal tech company. I think some of the ways that they do balance sheet magic is really interesting. Mm, um, balance sheet magic. And I think that uh, the mo- one of the most interesting questions though, when we haven't discussed yet, but one that I think we must is the implications for like art and cultural production, right? Because mm. for, as an example, uh, Bloomberg has tracked the average life of shows. It shows that in 2015, shows that in 2015, they lasted for 2.8 seasons. By 2018, that number was down to 1.8, and by 2020, it's even lower. And again, this no is on more the basis Tuka of and Bursi, unless you can take it to Adult Swim. Yeah, apart from Spencer Confidential, <laughs> from Spencer which Confidential. will run and run <laughs> like the mousetrap for 50 yeah, years. Absolutely, um, it's the new EastEnders, baby. So, uh, so, ba- so then we have to ask, right? What are the implications of art made essentially by algorithm? When things are impossible, are we living in the world of the movie Bob? There's going to be a lot more people getting stuck in things. Yeah. Spencer Confidential, but you're stuck in the washing machine. Uh, so I mean, um, uh, Ed, Ed and Jathan, uh, TMK crew, like, what do what do you think happens when 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 our algorithms decide what cultural production we can consume? I, th- I thought that was going to be a much more metaphysical question. I thought you were going to be like, what do you think happens when we die? <laughs> well, so um, what, can you answer the question I asked, and then later we can talk about the question Alice <laughs> yeah. asked. There's definitely um, concerns. You know, we've talked a bit about uh, political imagination and just imagination in general. Right? So there's the usual thing, which is like, you know, if we get if the cultural commons get uh, cluttered with more shit, half of it no one sees, and half of it is just like bright seventy six. Uh, that's going to have like a poisonous effect on the sort of world that we can build and are interested in building uh, and what we think about the world that we live in today. But I think also there's just the, um, uh, the, the fact that I, I think it is going to 
you know, part of it is training people or feels like it's training people, right. To want, um, to want that sort of shit and to also seek it elsewhere. And so the whole entire, uh, until the whole entire market gets run by the racism computer, essentially. Um, and I don't know, you know, I think just the, the large concern is, you know, what it does on imagination, on political imagination, how uh, it limits it. Like, are people going to be interested in solving certain problems or are they going to think that they're inevitable and locked in because for some reason the racism computer is telling us that, you know, that's the way that things are. Yeah, I mean, to, to me, the... Uh, just to, to take an example, I mean, take something like the Social Dilemma documentary, right? Which, according to Netflix, has been viewed 38 million times, and they see that as a big success. And so those are the kinds of documentaries that they're going to be putting out there, right? And it, it's no accident that they happen to option, you know, a, a tech criticism documentary that is just completely vapid and shallow and by one of the biggest grifters in this area, Tristan Harris and that crew. Uh, and, and so, I mean... The Netflix is not some kind of like neutral arbiter of taste, right? They are a production company. They are making culture and they're going to make the kind of culture that they want it to be, right? They're not going to reflect it, it, it. As much as Reed Hastings talks about how Netflix is against this like Steve Jobs model of the, the top down, you know, creator, the, the God entrepreneur, um, or whatever. And that kind of gets into what we'll talk about in the next episode. But at the end of the day, they are making, uh, hi like highly value driven decisions about what culture ought to look like. Mm. And, it, and, and the, and the question then comes to, right. To, because I think with a, with a tech company, you always end up sort of asking the same types of questions, which is to what extent are they uh, malicious? To what extent does their algorithm work actually? Like to what extent are they are they just repeating the same kind of cynical network executbot decisions? To what extent are they being politically cynical with what they commission? Sort of like lionizing <laughs> to what extent the Obamas. Are they just stupid and naive. Yeah, exactly. Like it's uh, lionizing the Obamas and trying to present the problems of um, you know Facebook as about mods while being a a. Uh, a charter school guy. It's basically the perfect, you know, um, company for the Joe Biden era of America. Um, and I just recently read as well that you know that the the weird dumbass fleets that Twitter is rolling out. Yeah, that was that was a product of Elliot Management telling Twitter it needs to be innovative by doing this thing. So that the our good friend Elliot Management. I <laughs> do true. Yeah, the guy who tried to rein in SoftBank. Yeah, to Mister right. and Mrs. Management, a son, Elliot. Um, my mortal think, enemy. Think, no one tries to rein in Masayoshi's son <laughs> and his brilliance. <laughs> um, I, I think it's. I think uh, I can't. I think it was uh, either Alice or Nate. You said it earlier, which is a command economy that's just completely disconnected from even trying to represent reality. Yeah, it's a command economy of nonsense. I love. I love how child kings. It's like the uh, yeah. Gosplan is or similar to the Gosplan two point thesis uh, that. Uh, FT Alphaville editor puts out that or the other day she was like in an argument with uh, with some MMT people saying that we live in actual communism disguised as uh, the as you know state capitalism um, and one of her large arguments was you know that like, yeah we also live in a, a command economy that is like you know wildly removed from reality but somehow also 
uh, communist and no one really owns anything and private property is going to... Yeah, it's basically like we live in the Soviet Union if all of their budget went to Moss Film and the NKVD and right. no, yeah, nobody else. Right. NKVD officer is my yeah. favorite movie. Protect, pre- protecting confidentiality Spencer as he goes about his important movie business. Um, and I mean, I think there are, there are a lot more of the sort of the implications for art that we can still really get into in the in part two. I mean, part two will we'll be discussing their like completely psycho work culture um and then i think that because i i really want to drill more into like this idea of the implications for cultural production and the limits on imagination that you get when you centralize all of this under the control of an algorithm created by some of the most like just vampiric lifeless bloodsuckers in this entire world right more reality shows <laughs> uh alice you're getting better at those um you know when you centralize and productionize all the cynicism of hollywood in one company you know that that does have profound implications for the imagination mm. but not as many of the pedophiles and when and when all of that and when you have a company that does that it has to be famously insane which netflix is so tune in not only to uh, This Machine Kills podcast hosted ably by Edward and Jathan, but also tune in to part two on the Patreon where we will be exploring Netflix's famously psycho work culture, which can only be explained like as Silicon Valley feel-good Maoism. (laughs) Join us on the confidential feed. Tune in to see the real reason Riley brought us on, which is to, uh, like the, the management consultants in office space, we'll be running the keeper test on every member of the TF crew. <laughs> <laughs> what would you right. say you do here, Michael? <laughs> well, what I, would say, I, what I would say I do around here is I say thank you very much to Ed and Jathan for coming on today. Ah, thanks for having us. Uh, a reminder to all the listeners, thank you for listening, to listen to TMK, to also subscribe to our Patreon where you'll hear part two of this episode later this week. Later this week. Later this week. Later this week. Riley and the Gooch. That's right. It's you're listening to Riley and Spencer Confidential. <laughs> yeah, we'll be screaming. We should watch Spencer Confidential for like a, a for bonus. bonus episode. Yeah, that would be fun. Why not? Part three, we watch Spencer Confidential. Yeah. Um, Do it on the Twitch stream. Do it on the Twitch stream. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that's TOS. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> thank you everyone for listening. Do we have the online store up yet by the time this comes out on uh, Tuesday? Uh, well, you have the design. We'll try. We'll, we'll try. try. We'll, well look, it. maybe yeah. the online store will be out, but the most important thing is stop emailing Milo about the shirts. <laughs> please, please do not, do not email do, do me about the Do not email shirts. my host. Yes. yes. Do not. Uh, we will have an online store uh, that will be released soon through which you can buy shirts. Do not email Milo. Yeah, please do do not. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd listen to, well, there's your problem. Listen to Hell of a Way to Die. Listen to the Russian podcast. It's listen called, to it's Tank Posts. Yeah, right. listen to Tank Posts. Yeah, we have, a, we have a Patreon now for the Russian podcast, which oh, is, you know, it's a fledgling you're just, Patreon. Say, we have a Patreon now for TF. Oh, yeah. We do, if you don't know about that. <laughs> uh, all right. Later, everybody. Bye. Bye. See ya. Thank you.